This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. It's time for a plan and a strategy as Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio puts a financial management advisor in your corner. Alan Small of the Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Welcome back. If you're bewildered by what's going on in the markets, you're not alone. The signals we're getting have been confusing, some showing growth, some indicating a slowdown, maybe even a possible recession. However, the stock markets just completed one of the best quarters in 10 years, and Canada's January GDP also unexpectedly grew by 0.3%. And for those trying to plan income in retirement. There's a brand new and frankly somewhat confusing option that came out in last month's federal budget. So stopping by our studio to explain it all, Senior Investment Advisor Alan Small of Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Alan, thanks so much for being with us. Great to be here as always. Okay, I want to start with that because there's a little bit here I don't understand. As you know, CARP, a new vision of aging with which we are affiliated, for years they've been trying to say, let's get rid or minimize mandatory RIF withdrawals, which means at 71, people have to start drawing down their RRSPs. And, and the, the fact is that not everybody needs to as much as you might have to. And the other fact is, and this is good news, we're living longer. So you don't really want your money to run out and you want to have it there. You know, maybe there comes a point when you need more of it, need less of it. I mean, why should the government determine how much money we have to draw down? Anyway, this has been a big ask for years. Harper government reduced it a little bit. So instead of doing something with that, which... I think is straightforward, simple to understand. They, they put this thing in where you can put up to 25% of your nest egg into a deferred annuity, which you would not draw until you're 85. And people are saying, huh, how does it work? Are there more fees I have to pay on this thing? And, and how does it, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I think a few, uh, I guess maybe a few years ago, the limits for RIF payments, that minimum withdrawal amount was reduced. Now it's somewhere, I think around five and a half percent that you have to take out starting at age 72. And now, I guess, not good enough. A lot of people were still saying, you know, why, like you say, does the government dictate how much we need to withdraw from our savings to live? And so they've come up with this new way to defer more of your savings to a later age. And you mentioned it is 25% or up to $150,000. Right. You're right. There's that maximum. There's that maximum. They always put a maximum in there. And, uh, you know, a lot of people that I meet or the investors I meet, you know, deferring that to age 85 and then taking that out of life, uh, a life annuity at that point. So I guess for the most part, in my opinion, I still 
the people that I meet and talk to, they still, for the most part, drawing on their money. I agree with you. You know, I think there should be some more flexibility in how you draw it when you take it out. There shouldn't be these, these strict rules. I agree with that. I think the flexibility should be in the hands of the investor, not, you know, not, not having to be told how much they need to take out. And plus a lot of these people that do take out money and obviously it counts as income when you pull it out, they're then reinvesting it back into a tax-free savings account or some sort of investment account. So yeah, I, I think this is yeah, just another so- way the government's trying to, to appease those that are, are, you know, have complaints. Well, exactly. And, and you have to pay tax on it. And, you know, tax-free savings accounts haven't, didn't start for a while. And, you know, you, you can sort of be in retirement and say, oh boy, you know, I, I have, uh, most of my money in a, in a stream where I'm going to have to pay tax on it and not enough in a stream where I don't. Right, right. And, and I think the tax-free savings account was created uh, for that reason. And, you know, I think it's becoming a very powerful tool when you look at husband and wife as an example. Now each of them can put over $63,000 in each of them into a tax-free savings account. So about 127000 because I think it's sixty-three-five, $127,000 of tax-free uh, money or growth you could have on that money. And it's becoming a pretty good tool. And every year, as we know, now it will continue to grow another 6,000 this year uh, and probably another 6,000, et cetera, in years to come. So I would definitely start to look at, if you don't have a tax-free savings account currently, definitely start to look at that as an option for investment. Okay. So let's move along to the market. There's a lot of confusing signals. And, you know, around Christmas time, I remember, you know, we were watching the markets sink like a stone. Everybody was all worried. And then kaboom, they're, they're back. Do we just stop worrying? Well, can we ever stop worrying? You know, I, I always tell investors when, when I meet them, you know, I think there are always storm clouds on the horizon and there always will be. And, and really the market moves based on what investors want to focus on on that day. At any given point in time, you could focus on the negative or the positive. And there are always negatives and positives to any trading day or month or, or year. So I think right now where we're at is, is kind of back at the all-time highs that we set back in the, in the fall of last year. There are definitely some mixed signals. We know that growth around the world is slowing down, but we also know that central banks are realizing this, and that's why they've stopped raising interest rates, at least for the foreseeable future. And the market has responded very favorably to that. We also know that there are a lot of negotiations going on right now, trade negotiations between Canada and the U.S., U.S. and China. Obviously, those are the two main ones that really affect us every day. Uh, But also the U.S. just yesterday, you know, threatened to put tariffs on European goods. So these are all things that affect the market as well and will affect the markets going forward. So unfortunately, we have to have one eye on the markets and one eye on the political environment because they both together, you know, kind of paint the picture as to how the day will go on, on any given day. Okay, let me give the numbers out again. I'm sure people have questions for you, Alan. The numbers are 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. We have a call from Keith in Rochester. Hi, Keith. Yes, it doesn't matter the country. Why don't governments, instead of what I'm calling Social Security, why don't they, uh, back in the 30s, allow individual indexed accounts tied right in with the Dow. At its low point in 1932, the Dow was only $41. Now it's 26000 
if in 1935, when our Social Security began, if they had done that, everyone would be much richer and well off, and we wouldn't have to, people wouldn't have to listen and obey the government so far as withdrawals at a certain age. So you're asking why don't people yes. invest in the index, or why doesn't the government invest in the index? I'm not sure your question. Both, both of those. If they, I'm an American. In 1935, Social Security, FDR, they all they wanted to be controlled. Our by government, the government invests in the market. We have a Canada Pension Plan investment boards. I mean, I guess they're pretty uh, conservative. Uh, Keith, thanks for your thoughts, though. Um, yeah, our government does invest in the markets. Yeah, absolutely. You know, pension plans do. They're obviously the biggest investors, and they will buy things from real estate to you know private equity type of investments to, you know, things that are publicly traded. And you'll find that uh, individual investors try and do the same thing. You know, you have a lot of investors out there that will buy alternative, what we call alternative investments, real estate, currency, even options trading. Obviously, it depends on your risk tolerance, but there are many things you could do to uh, to, to move ahead, to, to grow your money over time. Okay. Uh, we're going to have to take a break soon, but if, before that, let's talk about the inverted yield curve, what it is and what it means. Yeah, so the inverted yield curve, I get a big chuckle out of it because I was hearing investors coming up to me uh, talking about, for the first time I had ever heard these investors talk about this, the bond market. Everybody likes to talk about the stock market, but in fact, the bond market is a lot bigger than the stock market. And the smart money, as we like to call it, takes their cue from the bond market more so than the stock market. And so you have these people talking to me about yield curves and inverted yield curves. Simply put, an inverted yield curve in this case was when the three-month rate, bond rate or interest rate, actually went above the 10-year rate. Normally, as we all know, the longer the term of the bond or GIC, the more interest you make. Well, imagine if you had a GIC that was three months paying you more than one that was 10 years. And that's what happens when you have an inversion where the short term is actually paying you more than the long term. And that over time has tend to lead to or has led to recessions. It's a very good indicator that a recession is coming. So that's one of the reasons why you started to hear a lot of this talk about is a recession coming because people were taking their cues for the first time, perhaps from the bond market. And what do you tell them? Well, at this point, I don't see a recession on the horizon. Uh, whether or not it will be a, an indicator, maybe you know, a year or two down the road, I'm not so sure. I think there are different reasons this time for the for the yield curve inverting. Uh, but overall, for now, I don't see any indication of a recession. I know our country here we're growing at around a one and a half two percent rate. The United States is probably growing at around a two two and a half percent rate. So I don't see a recession in the cards, at least for now. And also keep in mind for all the people listening. You don't need to have a recession to see a pullback in the stock market. We saw a pretty big pullback in the stock market at the end of last year, and there was no recession last year. So keep in mind that a recession doesn't necessarily equate to a pullback in the market and vice versa. You can still have a pullback without the recession. So you really want to focus on the here and now, what's going on, good quality investments that you can own for a good period of time. And if they could pay you a dividend while you're, while you're owning them, that's a great recipe for success. Okay, let's take a call from Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. Hi. My question is about TFSAs and whatever investments I've made, I've always managed them myself. So if I were to employ somebody like you to, to manage it, what's the difference? 
what would you invest in? What are the charges? How, how does it work? Great question. So uh, kind of a, a few questions all bundled in there. So how does it work? Well, uh, what are the charges? Well, if you were going to open up a, a tax-free savings account and let's say you were to put in the, the maximum or close to the maximum or what, whatever you want to put in, strictly, I would probably work it as a, as a commission-based or transactional-based account. So if you were to buy, let's say, a stock for your tax-free savings account, there would be a commission charge when you buy, and then then you would own it for a period of time. And then one day, if you decide to sell it, there would be a, a transaction cost or a commission when you sell it. So that would be kind of how the fees would work. And I think that would be pretty typical of, of, of most uh, advisors or how most advisors would work. And, and what benefit would you have? Well, obviously, as your advisor, I would recommend the products or the investments for you to, to, to buy. And we would have a conversation as to you know what these investments what I think these investments would do for you, why they would be of benefit to buy. And obviously, if you were in agreement with that, then we would execute those transactions. And over time, I would be the person to monitor those those investments and basically provide advice to you as to when to sell or perhaps when to maybe uh, sell some, maybe say take some profit off the table. So I would be your, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, I would be your guide in this journey of investment uh, into the tax-free savings account. Okay. Would I have like daily access? Could I log on to my TFSAs and watch and see how much stocks are performing? Absolutely. Most uh, accounts today and most investment firms offer an online uh, viewing for, for investors. You would log in with a password and identification number, and then you could view your accounts any day you like. Okay. And basically you manage them for me. And if I'm happy with your performance, I keep you. If I don't like you, if you don't like me, well, I'm the guy you hug when everything goes well and the guy you want to you know, yell at if things don't go well. So you obviously have, have the opportunity to transfer out your business whenever you like if you're not happy. So you just move it somewhere else. That's correct. Yep. Okay, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Alan, what are your investors asking these days? Uh, great question. I, I think, you know, investors tend to ask similar questions depending on the environment. But I guess right now, a lot of my investors, um, especially uh, the ones that follow the markets a little closer, their, their main question to me is how long can this continue? How long can this market continue to rise, climb that wall of worry? As we said earlier, there are a lot of, uh, you know, clouds on the horizon, uh, trade and tariffs and all that being, being a main one. How how long can this market continue to climb the wall of worry? And, and that's a difficult question to answer. You know, a lot of people are predicting or think a recession is coming in 2020 or 21. And really, I think they're just saying that because we've had such a long bull run. And to me, I don't believe any bull run or good markets ever finished just because they've lasted too long. I think they've always come to a head based on rising interest rates or, or something else that affects the system. Obviously, 2008-9, we saw a financial crisis in 1999, 2000 was the tech bust or bubble, if you will. So there, there, there's something always there to cause it. And, and then sometimes it's just the, the cycle comes to an end and interest rates continue to rise. So I think right now the markets can continue to go higher. I think they will work their way higher. Obviously, if we get some sort of uh, positive deal out of China and the US, 
a positive trade deal. And if China is willing to open up their markets to the rest of the world more so than they have, I think this can spur on a lot more growth in the future and I think could be the catalyst to take our markets to the next level. Well, you know, and never mind China. I mean, we thought we had a deal, the USMCA or whatever you want to call it. with, and, and now there are all kinds of issues about getting it ratified on both sides of the border. So, hey. Yeah, no, you know, until they remove their tariffs, I know that's a sticking point, obviously, on our side. And for whatever reason, the, the U.S., they, they decide uh, that these tariffs are, are still on. So, uh, yeah, they, you know, these deals uh, seem to linger on for, for many months, at least uh, Canada and the U.S. has. We'll see where the, the China-U.S. deal goes. Okay, let's take a call from Mike in Brantford. Hi, Mike. Uh, hi, Libby. I wanted to ask uh, Alan uh, his uh, general opinion about uh, Quest Trade, which has just been bombarding the uh, uh, TV waves, uh, you know, uh, telling people, uh, you know, come to us and, you know, get forget about your broker. What does he think in general about that? Okay, before I, I, I'll say they have really good commercials. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> you know what? It, it, it's funny. I chuckle. I, the, the commercials are quite funny. And um, I, I guess the, the message, obviously, that they're trying to get at is that they're a low fee or low cost type of provider or, or they provide service at, at a low fee. And um, I think there's a couple of things there that I get a little confused about. Number one, you know, those commercials, are they talking about the advisor fee, they talking about the mutual fund fee. Obviously, those are two separate things. And so, you know, uh, that that 2% that that is charged, that tends to be what MERs or mutual funds charge, let's say. And then there's the advisor commission or his his uh, his fee that he charges for his advice. And then they kind of blend the two. So, but overall, I, I think Questrade, like any other uh, discount uh, organization, you can go to a discount broker at, at any bank as well, where you can do trades for, for a very small fee, but do these institutions have someone there to help you? You know, how much help do they provide? And are you going to get the right advice, the best advice you can get? And so I think that there's obviously a, a disconnect or a big difference between the full service wealth management route. And then there is the discount broker, quest trade, et cetera, route. Uh, I don't know if it's accurate to put them in the same, in the same basket, but I look at them as, as, you know, not the full service side of things that, that, for example, I, I work in every day. So I think everything has its place. I think it just depends on where the advisor or what the advisor is looking for and the type of advice and service they're looking for. And that will sort of take you to where you want to be. Okay. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, you know, there, there are people who manage their own portfolios and who are online checking it three times a day. And it's, it's interesting, you know, I have some friends who do that and they still have advisors for certain things. And then there's the other end of the spectrum. People don't want to deal with it at all. So I guess part of it depends on just what kind of an investor you are. Absolutely. And I have a lot of clients who like to have a conversation. You know, they have me to, to help them, as I said, be that guide to get them to reach their financial goals or help them reach their financial goals. And they often, you know, throw investment ideas at me and I'm, I guess, their sounding board. I'm the person there that brings in the, the, the logic or the non or emotional 
emotional type of uh, of advice that uh, advisors like myself we try to provide. So I think you know it just really depends on what the person is looking for. Uh, but statistics clearly show. I will say this: uh, if you look at, I think Ific released uh, some information years ago that said that if you are an investor and you use an investment advisor, statistics do show that over the long term you tend to outperform those that that don't have an investment advisor. And and again, it just depends on who you are, how much time you have to dedicate to your investments, uh, and how you know how savvy you are. You know, did you take economics in school? Or are you are you coming from the industry yourself? Are you uh, are you an accountant by nature? You know, do you have some background that will help you be able to analyze investments and 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 and, and provide a good uh, portfolio or create a good portfolio for yourself? So I think it, again, like you said, it just depends on the type of person uh, that you are. Okay, let me give the numbers out again. We do have just a few minutes left. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-740-4740. But I I couldn't let you go without asking what what are you liking now? Which what stocks? am I liking now? You know, I, I think right now, uh, I don't think there's one area that I'm liking better than others. I find that... Um, portfolios today, at least mine, tend to have a little bit more cash than they may have had back in December. So that tells me that I'm finding less good things to buy, if that makes sense. It's harder to find those diamonds in the rough. A lot easier when the market was at a low point back on Christmas Eve, December 24th. And I, you know, taking that one step further, you find investors now want to put more money to work than back in December. In December, I probably would be hard-pressed to find anybody who wanted to put new money to work, but that's the time when you want to put money to work. Take that contrarian attitude. Put money to work when those are fearful, and then be fearful when those are greedy. A famous Warren Buffett saying, Right now, the market is in that fairly priced range. Things are difficult, to, or at least bargains are more difficult to find. And so right now, I think you want to look right across the whole spectrum of investments. They might be a few tech names that are cheap, a few banks, a few retail. You know, I think you want to look at all the different areas and make sure you build a nice, diverse portfolio. Okay, the buy low, sell high. Is that what you're telling us? That's always the best way to go. <laughs> and, and you mentioned some tech names. So lots of controversy involving Facebook, Google, all of that. What's your outlook for those big, huge names? And of course, Amazon. Yeah, you know, I would say that be careful of perception. Uh, sometimes perception is a lot more powerful than reality. You know, you look at, you mentioned Facebook, the perception with all their bad press and media coverage that they would be struggling. Well, Facebook last quarter released some really good earnings. The stock actually is up over 30% year to date. So any investor that had the stomach to stay in Facebook, even though things look pretty dire, they've made a lot of money this year. So with regards to any of these tech names or any other names where you're hearing, you know, the doom and gloom or, or maybe some negative uh, uh, information, you got to really parse through it because sometimes what is perceived to be the facts aren't actually the facts. And you could actually be getting in to a good investment that is cheap, but not cheap for the right reasons. Oh, okay. So it, they might be cheaper because of stuff that's happening in the news, but not necessarily. That's right. A lot the of these companies are doing very well. Google, Facebook, Amazon, the ones you mentioned, they dominate in their space and they're leaders uh, of their industry. And I think they will continue to be. They, they have grid management. And uh, obviously, if they can, you know, get things straightened out from the, from the standpoint of personal information, et cetera, all the things we hear about every day. I think these stocks uh, can be winners going forward, obviously for an investor that can handle the type of risk that they are. 
Okay, Alan, we're just about out of time. So is there anything you want to leave us with for today? Well, I would say, you know, if you're an investor today, I think you want to be cautiously optimistic. I think the markets can move higher. Unfortunately for for us investors, a lot will be dictated by the political environment, what happens in politics, whether it's in Canada or the U.S. or China or Europe. Uh, you know, the world's a very small place. We all inter- intertwined. And I just think that, uh, you know, do not be afraid of this pending recession that some people may be hearing. Uh, I don't see a recession coming anytime soon, uh, but it's obviously, uh, you know, anything is possible. You just want to buy good quality investments and you want to hold them and then uh, obviously sell them when they reach your targets and, uh, you know, move on. Okay. Thank you so much. Investment advisor, Alan Small of Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. We really appreciate your insights. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.